As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash UNTCares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT Alumni Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Alumni Association. The Alumni Association is open to all friends of UNT who are interested in serving, supporting, and celebrating the university. To learn more, visit untalumni.com. To learn more about Ollie at UNT, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. This month's UNT alumnus spotlight falls on Dr. Stella Mulberry Antic. Dr. Antic is an expert in a unique field of professional practice within higher education, that of college student development, as well as in faculty development, supporting faculty members' roles, grant writing, and large-scale event coordination. She is the founder of Stellar Higher Education Solutions, LLC, with over 20 years of experience in higher education administration, encompassing functional areas within student affairs, academic affairs, and financial and business affairs. Dr. Antic is certified by the State of Texas in Mediation and Dispute Resolution, which sounds like an extremely needed skill in the current climate of today. Dr. Antic received her PhD right here at the University of North Texas in Higher Education Administration with Cognate in Student Affairs a Master's of Education in Counseling and Student Services, also from UNT, and undergraduate degrees, degrees that's plural, in Marketing and Economics from Southern Methodist University. Very impressive credentials, Dr. Antic. Welcome to the Ali Podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Can you give us a description of college student development and how it's helpful to students and professionals in student affairs? Yes. So college student development means looking at all of the ways that our students will adapt and grow during their time on campus and then how we as educators can help them through it with a holistic viewpoint. So when we look at this, we think about academic growth and how that's important, but we also look at different facets such as emotional, social, spiritual, and mental health supports that we provide to our students. And each student is a different individual with unique needs. So when we think about student development, we want to understand that it's both micro and macro. If you understand the needs of one, you can also better understand how students can experience each other, experience faculty, how they learn how to collaborate, and how they build empathy for other people. So it's really helpful for educators and professionals because it provides these multiple lenses through which we can get better insight on our students about the diversity of their student perspectives and their experiences. 
So when we think about college student development, we're looking at the entire environment uh, that the student will experience and what we need to take into account and how they are, are educated. So this is really the role of the campus. It's the role of the administrators to ensure that we are looking at that entire environment and the breadth of student experiences. I love the concept of the holistic view. That's fantastic. I mean, what a difference from just focusing on perhaps someone's academic schedule, but actually looking at the entire person. Yes, that's exactly it. That's awesome. Faculty career development is another facet you address in stellar higher education. What sorts of things do you do in this area? Well, I work primarily with faculty on promotion and tenure when they are up for being promoted through the ranks from an assistant professor to associate professor to full professor. And that can be a very involved process, regardless of the institution. So tenure review at most universities focuses primarily on teaching effectiveness, their research activities and service to the institution and also to the profession. So I work with individual faculty who are up for promotion uh, on ways that they can communicate what they're doing and how well they're doing it. Uh, well, faculty need to demonstrate their teaching effectiveness, such as through student surveys, uh, looking at those results, or getting feedback from their colleagues on campus. And then they also need to demonstrate their research activity, which includes publications in journals, presentations at conferences, and external grant funding that they've brought in. That's another big consideration in that process. And so the final piece is looking at ways they give back to the institution, which could be doing activities such as advising student organizations, uh, advising graduate students, serving on different committees, or even helping to raise the profile of the university by serving on boards or committees with their professional organizations or within the community. So I take all of that information, all of the different activities that faculty do on a daily basis, and I help them compile their review packets, which at times can include a great number of pages of narrative, including their curricula vitae, and then different forms that the universities require to go through the various levels of approval. So you can imagine uh, faculty members who are very busy and trying to do all those different things with teaching and research and service. It, it gets to be a very involved process. And so that's where I can come in and help them compile all of that and help them effectively communicate and make the case for being promoted. And then one of the other things I do for faculty, I do uh, editorial reviews of their journal submissions and conference presentations to help that approval process go smoothly. Usually when you are submitting things to a journal or submitting a conference presentation, it needs to go through several rounds of review with either an editorial board or a selection committee. So the goal is to help faculty submissions pass that initial review quickly with a minimum of changes. And there's a saying in academia, publish or perish, which is kind of accurate. There's pressure for faculty to publish their research activity in order for them to advance. And then that also helps promote their institutions and bring opportunities for funding. And so that's where I can help come in and take some of that stress off of them to help them push their research out to the audiences more quickly and more effectively. That must be a terrific relief to the faculty. I have often <laughs> yes. thought what pressure that would be the, to publish and to write when you have classes to teach and so many other things to do, research projects going on. It must be a terrific support to know that there is somewhere to go to have someone do an editorial review of what you're writing and to help you through the process. Yes, exactly. It's just something that, as you said, alleviates that time constraint and then allows them to focus a little bit more 
on the actual activities that they're doing. And it's interesting for me, too, because I end up learning a lot about very different subject matters and learning about their research and things like that. So it does uh, get to be very interesting for me as well. Well, it sounds like you help not only the faculty, but then flipping over to the other side of the coin, what you do in terms of faculty career development, you're also helping the institution because you're helping them also serve the institution as well as the community. So when you look at a higher education institution to help them develop faculty and staff, what kind of things do you do there? Well, faculty and staff development is really so important to institutional effectiveness and then also to helping employee morale. You know, if an institution invests in its people, then the people are going to feel more invested in the institution. And so I work with institutions on identifying ways that they can offer professional development and training to their people, whether it's on faculty or staff, and looking at ways that they can do that strategically. So there are a number of ways that institutions can achieve this. And one of the easiest ways is to allocate budget resources and time for faculty and staff professional development, whether it's attending conferences or looking at training courses that are available. And encouraging faculty and staff to present at those conferences is another great professional development activity. It gives the people research experience and public speaking experience, but then it also helps promote the institution and it helps highlight some of the innovative things that are happening in the departments. So it gets people excited about working at their institution, but then it shows folks who are outside the institution that it's a good place to be. Very worthy goals. That sounds wonderful. Living outside of some wonderful higher education institutions, UNT being, of course, the ultimate favorite. (laughs) That's so important. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I did want to mention also uh, training courses for faculty and staff can also be beneficial. Um, Obviously, there are classes and certifications that can be helpful, but looking internally at the institution and what they offer, there are lots of opportunities for training that are offered from departments like human resources, student affairs, and equity and diversity that are open to the faculty and staff at a particular university. And those are other great ways to ensure that people have training in those different areas, but then it also supports the work of those departments who offer them. When you mentioned this holistic view when you look at a college student, do you see overlap with that in your help in the faculty career development? Yes, there's a significant amount of overlap with something like that, because oftentimes when you are in an area outside of student affairs where you may not have necessarily had academic training in college student development, you know, you might have training in a specific discipline or you're working in a different office that may not be an academic department, but you have uh, skills and talent in, let's say, financial budgeting resources and things like that. You may be working at a university, but you might not have had the training in college student development. So if you are able to meet those colleagues in those areas and possibly uh, go to some of the trainings that they offer, it gives you a better perspective of what the students are experiencing. It helps you speak their language a little bit more and help meet them where they're at. And so I'm of the mindset that as much training as you can get, the better, just because it helps make you a more well-rounded professional, but then it helps benefit the students a lot. What do you find is the greatest need for a higher education institution or organization as they reach out to you as an expert in your field? I think there are two big things that we are facing right now in higher education. First and foremost, diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important to institutions right now. It's really a call to arms by students, faculty, and staff across higher education. 
in the United States. So uh, when we think about diversity and inclusion, it's no longer an exceptional case for an institution to be inclusive of its entire community. It really needs to be an expectation that all institutions are operating fairly and equitably. And senior administration has a responsibility to walk the walk and show students that diversity is a priority and that they're willing to devote time and financial resources to ensuring an equitable and positive experience for their students. And then by extension, also their faculty and staff. Um, I would say another concern is funding. You know, it's a big priority and a big challenge for universities. And I would say for nonprofits as well. In higher education, budgets are largely determined by enrollment. So if there's a shortfall in enrollment, then alternate sources of funding are going to be needed. And certainly at nonprofits, large portions of those budgets are dependent on donations. So if they're unable to secure donors, they must also look to different funding sources. And so uh, what I do with my business is uh, working with institutions and nonprofits on grant funding as a solution for both, whether it's for public or uh, government grants or through private foundations. Do you see that the enrollment might be a problem for next semester? We're right in the middle of this COVID-19 situation. Right. I think it, I honestly think it depends on what universities are going to be putting forward as far as policies and requirements. And then I think a lot of it will also depend on the comfort level of the students and their families on whether or not they feel comfortable being in that environment, especially as we're going through COVID. So I know that some universities are looking at some solutions to reduce class sizes, to work through some of the scheduling of classes, to reduce the number of people that are in the buildings. And they're also looking at things in the residence halls, like how do they reduce occupancy in the residence halls while also still ensuring that students have a place to live. So there are a lot of things happening on the university side to help figure out how best to address this. But then you still have the human component uh, with the students and their families and whether or not they feel comfortable in what the universities are proposing. And if that's something that they feel that they can live with or, or that they even want to deal with. So I think it'll be an interesting summer, especially as we're entering the freshman orientation season and enrolling our students who are both new students or returning students or even transfer students. There's lots of things out there. So I think it depends on university responses, but then also people's particular comfort levels on how this is going to play out. So I'm guessing that if the enrollment is greatly affected, that might also create a greater need for grants for institutions. Would I be right about that? Absolutely. You know, right now, there, there are so many unknowns. And then that impact on the financial situation for both higher education institutions and also nonprofits. This is a time of a lot of unknowns. So it's not just seeking these funding opportunities, but what can we also look at to stretch these fundraising dollars that are already here? How can an organization be strategic and prioritizing their needs? And then how can they also forecast out for the next two or three budget cycles and planning for that since we really don't know what the long-term impact on budgets and finances is going to be. I can help leadership through this process because that's an often complicated thing to be able to forecast and budget out several cycles ahead of time, especially in this time of unknown impact. And so right now, we see a lot of leaders at nonprofits and at universities dealing with the day-to-day things that are happening. And so the, the goal is to make it as seamless as possible to help the leadership craft a plan that both they and their staff can support and execute. And so that really is going to be the 
challenge is trying to anticipate what those needs are going to be for the next couple of budget cycles and looking at external funding, knowing that the budgetary impact of enrollment, not just for tuition money that's coming in, but also for state money that comes in based on the formula funding for enrollment could vary. And we still don't know what that's going to look like. When you go in to help an organization or an institution with their grant writing, do they normally know what grants that they would like to go for? Or do you help them find the grants that are available? How does that work? Well, it really depends on the project because sometimes we know from the outset that there's a particular grant or a particular funding agency that we want to work with, but then other times it is a blank slate. So it really just depends on their goals and what the project is. So like I said, some institutions or individual faculty already know that what they want to apply for, they have a specific grant in mind. And so they'll bring me in to facilitate that application process. We'll work on the narrative together and then we'll compile the required documentation because there really is quite a lot, especially when you get into government grants. There really is quite a lot of loose ends that you need to tie up just to get the application ready and in the pipeline, let alone going through that review process. So uh, oftentimes the institutions or even the individual faculty who have a project they're working on, they know what their targets are and and it's just a matter of coordinating all of that with them. But other times they'll ask me to do some research on what grants are available, uh, what agencies or what entities have, have grant funding available and what those requirements look like, because it really does vary. You can imagine that governments have different requirements than a private foundation would have. And it's really about trying to coordinate all of that and figure out what's low-hanging fruit, what are some things that we might be able to apply for quickly to get funding in the pipeline, but then other things, what are the funding opportunities for us to look at in the future so that we can sustain a program? So I really work with them together in that sense to craft that application, put together the narrative, and put together an application that would be an effective and compelling read for the reviewing committee. How do you see the economic impact of the COVID-19 situation affecting this process? Do you think that more grants will become available because of it, or do you think they will diminish? I think it's going to depend on the source of the grant. So I think we may see a decrease in government-based grants because we have municipalities and states and the federal government that are looking at if they need to divert financial resources directly to COVID relief or to other programs. And so if it's a government-based grant, we might see some changes in terms of a decrease in the availability of those. But on the other hand, we might see an increase in the availability of private funding. There are foundations and individual donors who are looking for ways to support their communities directly through either research or a special project or whatever that might be. So I think the difference is really going to lie in that the source of the grant. And we might see a, a little bit more of an influx of uh, private funding opportunities as those foundations or private donors are looking for ways to bring some resources into their communities. You're also involved in program assessment. And what sorts of areas do you look at when you're assessing a program to help refine it to improve student learning? Well, the key to program assessment in higher education is to tie it back to student learning outcomes. And there's a saying that we recognize learning happens everywhere. You can learn both inside the classroom and outside the classroom through different campus experiences. So our aim for assessment is to look at how a department has crafted a particular experience 
or a program for students and what their original intention was to make it truly a learning experience. And then we look at how well they achieve that. So when I think about developing a program or a service, it really begins and ends with assessment and makes a complete closed loop. So we're looking beyond basic usage data like program attendance or the number of department visits. And we also want to look beyond student satisfaction or how well the students like the program. And we really want to dig deeper on whether they learned something or if it changed their perspectives and their way of thinking about a particular topic. How do you do that? How do you do that? And so, uh, as I said, the, the very beginning of developing a program or a service has got to be what are the desired outcomes that you want the students to have as far as learning something? Do you want them to come away with having attended a lecture, let's say, that you want them to be able to articulate some of the knowledge that they learned during that lecture? Or if you are thinking about a program that would be through a department, uh, what are the things that you want students to be able to walk away through a department visit when they're done with that? Do you want them to be able to say, I learned X, Y, and Z about this particular program? I know about different services that are available to me, things like that. And so the way we would do that as far as the mechanism of assessing these things, you could do something quantitative as far as uh, looking at survey data, looking at usage data and things like that, but then also just a very simple exit conversation. If you had a slate of questions that you asked a student at the end of a visit, you know, what did you think about this? Did we help you in any way? What are some of the questions that were answered for this during your visit? What are some of the things that you're still uncomfortable with? There's lots of different ways, both quantitative and qualitative to be able to assess the effectiveness of a program. So as long as you're tying it back to that original intention of why are we creating this and what do we want students to get out of it, then there's lots of different ways that you can actually measure that. And I would say that looking at the nonprofit world, shifting away from higher education a little bit, the same principles of tying assessment to the outcomes can be applied in nonprofits as well, especially as competition increases for private funding. So in that sense, we're looking at program effectiveness as a way to appeal to potential donors for them to see the organization's successes and how financial support can enhance that even more. Program assessment must certainly improve accountability within higher education. Is that what the primary purpose is or is it in program design? It's a very, it's an important part of it. Accountability is very important within assessment. So it's key for accountability within the institution because it can help determine budgets staffing, and other resources for a department. An assessment can show which programs are successful and which ones are not, which can be sometimes an uncomfortable conversation, but it all ties back to effectiveness of your program and and the services that you're providing. So campus leadership can look at data and they can decide whether to expand a successful program or they can decide to funnel additional resources to programs that might need some help to improve. Or they might decide that a program needs to be phased out, depending on on what the the data would show. It's really helpful from a decision-making perspective to have assessment data in front of the campus leadership so that they can make those decisions in an informed way. Yeah, I can imagine it must make things much more objective in deciding whether or not something is achieving the purpose that you hope that it does and that the students are getting from whatever courses that you planned for, for them to get that. And do you find that the program assessment also falls into the accreditation process? Do you work very closely with that? 
Yes, yes. It's crucial for that external accountability with accreditation. So institutions are up for accreditation every few years. It varies depending on the accrediting body, but uh, every few years there's an extensive accreditation review that institutions must go through, and they must submit evidence of program effectiveness for both academics and also the co-curricular activities that is everything outside the classroom. So these accreditation reviewers, they look at everything. They'll look at financial reports, academic performance data, and then anything that can be considered useful to whether or not the institution is being a good steward of its resources. So an important part that the reviewers really want to see is data about program assessment, and that helps them inform their recommendations for improvement. What words of advice would you have for someone either starting out in college now or already in the midst of their higher education journey? I would tell them that ultimately the colleges and universities want students to be successful. You know, they want you to perform well academically, but then they also want you to grow and find your niche on campus. And certainly we want them to come out of college being a well-rounded person once they graduate. So I would advise incoming students or students who are already at college to take advantage of what the campus has to offer, because at the end of the day, we really want them to be successful. Colleges have so much now to offer, too. It's amazing. I absolutely love going on campus and feeling that energy of the students there and seeing the things that they have available to them. It's really quite remarkable. It really is. It really is. When I started over 20 years ago now, I started working in campus activities at another university and just seeing where we were at then in 2000. And now here we are 20 years later, and there is so much more for students to experience. And the universities, I think, across the board have recognized that there's a lot of value in that and that they're willing to put some resources and time and staffing to providing those out-of-the-classroom experiences, I think is really great. And they've really crafted some great opportunities for students to get involved and for them to have a good experience. Right. Going back early on in our conversation about supporting students, it's changed so much from the time when I was in college. The focus was more on academics, and now I believe that the focus is truly on the whole individual, supporting the whole person and giving them the support that they need. It's wonderful to know that there are professionals out there that can actually do that also for individual students to say, hey, you know, this would really help you. Why don't you round your college experience out this way, which is just wonderful. So what words of advice would you have for those involved in planning and assuring high standards within higher education institutions? Well, I think keeping student success at the very forefront of what you're doing. So whether it's a learning experience in the classroom or an extracurricular activity to promote a positive student experience, or even a behind-the-scenes function that keeps everything running smoothly. If we're not doing this for the students, then we've really lost our purpose. And so I would say it's also not just capitalizing on the breadth of experiences that are made available to students. It's up to us as institutions to be able to authentically articulate how those experiences are going to prepare the students for having a full life after graduation, whether that's through gainful employment or just being able to think critically about different things. 
and how to make good decisions that are going to benefit themselves and, and that are going to benefit their communities. So I would say students need to start thinking about what they will do and how they will add that context to their futures, which is something that's hard to do when you're 18 or 19 years old. And it's hard to do even if you're a little bit older. But every time an institution can encourage students into that way of thinking is going to help. And so I think it's really our responsibility as higher education professionals to think about all the ways that we're contributing to student success. And then how can we articulate that so the students will see the value in it and that they'll take advantage of what's available to them. It sounds to me like good advice for anyone who wants to be a good citizen in a community as well. Exactly. It, it is a community within a college campus, and certainly we want people to go out into the communities that they'll eventually settle in as well and be good citizens there. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been extremely interesting. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. This has been Susan Supak at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, speaking with Dr. Stella Mulberry-Antic. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. 